Welcome to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. My name is Anand Upadhyay, and thanks for joining us. Bob Taylor is the Vice President and Senior Corporate Counsel of Legal Ideation and Transformation at Liberty Mutual Insurance. In that role, he equips his attorneys with the right tools to do their jobs more efficiently, assist them in deflecting or triaging unnecessary work, and ensuring that Liberty Mutual captures knowledge from each part of the system to ensure that his attorneys are working at, quote, the upper end of their license. As a trailblazer in the field of legal operations, Bob thinks in terms of systems, organizational efficiency, and core success metrics, which could be a major focus of the legal industry entering the recession and uncertainty associated with a global pandemic. We hope you like our conversation. As always, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Bob, thank you so much for joining me on the Modern Lawyer Podcast. It's an honor to have you on. Well, thanks for having me. Bob, you've got a really impressive uh, career, and uh, that career has given you a, a lot of perspective from your current position over at Liberty Mutual. Uh, I'd love to ha- just have you introduce yourself, you know, um, talk us through how you got to Liberty Mutual, talk us through your, your progression a- and growth at the company. Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, really admire the work that you're doing on The Modern Lawyer. I think it's great. So uh, it's an honor to be on. I'm Bob Taylor. I've been at Liberty Mutual now. I just started at Liberty Mutual 25 years ago. Um, I've handled a number of different roles since joining Liberty. Uh, Currently, I am Vice President and Senior Corporate Counsel. uh, I manage an area called Legal Ideation and Transformation uh, within our Legal Operations Group. A lot of people are going to, you know, probably say, well, what the heck is Legal Ideation and Transformation? Uh, Well, at Liberty Mutual, it means the following. I oversee a a, a group of individuals who are hard at work in helping us think about the way that legal services are being delivered today, how they might be able to be delivered tomorrow, and how we can influence that. So that includes um, folks that are um, doing innovation. I have an innovation leader, director of innovation. Uh, We handle competitive intelligence. Uh, We have legal project management professionals. Uh, We have um, a group that is uh, involved with legal information services, which is a little bit of a fancy way of talking about the legal library, but we do a little bit more in that group, which includes um, things around data-driven law, which I'm happy to talk about. Um, We touch a little bit on knowledge management, but we really do more on vendor management. We oversee a number of the vendors that uh, the Liberty Mutual Legal Department engages uh, to help it do do its best work. And um, then um, we do process improvement, and then um, we look at strategy. And, and help uh, inform the strategy of not only the legal operations group, but the larger legal department and uh, help them think about what are the things that we should be focused or concentrating on in order to empower our legal department to do the best work for our business partners. So I, I'm you know, chomping at the bit to delve into legal ideation and transformation. I mean, those are you know, massive concepts. Those are really on point with what we talk about here on the Modern Lawyer podcast. Uh, but I'd love to, even before that, get a sense of how you even got to Liberty Mutual uh, a mere 25 years ago. What was your path as a, a <laughs> an attorney um, and as someone um, you know who's kind of uh, you first got got his way into uh, into this very large insurance company and in this in this very uh, interesting environment? You know, I think it's funny. We all often joke that. People don't end up insurance on purpose. <laughs> you kind of end up here accidentally. And, and I think that was really my case as well. Um, you know, I started off um, attending college here in Massachusetts at uh, a small Catholic college, Stonehill College, and went straight into the law school, uh, New England Law, Boston here. And um, right out of law school, um, you know, I was working in the Norfolk County DA's office um, as a student, and I caught on and, and started off as a, as a prosecutor. Um, right out of law school. And it was the best job ever if you wanted to try cases. And that's what I thought, you know, when I was in law school that, you know, all I really wanted to do is be a litigator and try cases. I mean, um, you know, there was just that competitive streak in me. You know, I was into athletics and sports. And so, you know, it was a nice way for me to kind of keep that competitive juices flowing. And so um, really enjoyed that experience, but, um, you know, not wanting to be kind of a career, um, you know, public servant, 
um, after a couple of years, I rotated out of that. And, you know, I was looking around and deciding, you know, where might I want to, you know, kind of continue my career and where could I continue to try cases? And, you know, at the time, if you were going to go into big law, um, there was no way that you were going to be able to ha be handed a, a trial, you know, as a first or second year associate, right? Um, but my father at the time uh, had been uh, working for UPS and he worked for UPS for 32 years, um, and, you know, had a fantastic career there. And he was doing some work with Liberty Mutual. Liberty Mutual's been UPS's insurer forever. And uh, he said, you know, you might want to take a look at Liberty Mutual. Um, they have this fantastic legal program over there. And of course, me, young, cocky kid, my response was, why in the world would I ever want to try car wreck cases for the rest of my career? That sounds terrible. <laughs> but um, after three interviews, uh, they finally hired me on in their field legal operation. Liberty Mutual has a very large staff legal or field legal operation, uh, which handles um, insurance litigation uh, directly on behalf of its policyholders. And sure, uh, when I started off, I handled my uh, share of, of auto accident uh, type cases in district court, but that quickly morphed into larger, more complex matters in superior court. I was very fortunate um, early on to be able to try a number of cases. Um, I had some experience in appellate work. I had an opportunity to go up to the SJC, uh, Massachusetts Supreme Court uh, a couple of times. Um, I know you're wondering, you know, how'd I do, right? And not, you know, <laughs> so it was probably just luck, but yeah, I had, I had good facts, right? Like any lawyer should when they go up on appeal. But um, so I, I did that work for a while um, and um, had all manner of experience from both um, personal lines work and commercial work. So I had a broad breadth of experience as a trial lawyer. And um, then I started doing, uh, I was asked to, to take a look at, um, some work that really no one else really wanted to do, which was uh, subrogation work. And for those people that don't know subrogation, it's essentially um, when an insurer pays out on a loss, if there's someone else that's responsible for that loss, we're entitled to recover that money back from the responsible party. The easiest way to explain that is like we pay on a warehouse fire, but we find out the day before the HVAC guy was out there maintaining that and he had crossed some wires and caused the fire. Right. So it, um, right around that same time, um, you know, my wife and I had a toddler. We had another on the way and I was attending business school nights at Suffolk University uh, in Boston because I was really always interested in the business aspect of law. And I was interested in migrating from doing litigation into being more on the corporate side of things. And so this idea of building out a uh, national coordinating uh, subrogation program for Liberty Mutual was very appealing for me because it had a lot of aspects of developing a business plan and, and showing a, an ROI for, for what we were putting together. So um, I think it was about 2002 that I finished my MBA program and um, moved over to the corporate side. I was fortunate enough to be offered a position that was kind of like an internal consultant uh, to some of our larger insureds about how to consume legal services efficiently. Also helped uh, work on um, an audit program for our outside counsel at that time. So I was really um, back in 2002 in the start of the throes of what today is called litigation management or legal operations. And um, so that's where I kind of started to cut my teeth in legal ops. Um, and then did that for a few years, and then I was kind of minding my own business one evening. It was kind of late, and the uh, then general counsel of Liberty Mutual, Chris Mansfield, happened to come by my office. And whenever the general counsel comes, you know, to the threshold of your door, you know, it can only be one of two things, really good or really bad, right? And so, I don't know, and I was going through my head, like, what did I do? You know, what's gonna, what's going to happen? And he sat down, and he actually said, you know, um, we bought these series of small companies and there's one that happens to be in Dallas, Texas, um, and they don't have a general counsel and we think that you might be a good fit. Would you be willing to take your family down there and take a look? He said, don't answer me now, just go down, take a look. And so, you know, um, that was an interesting conversation I had that evening with my wife. Uh, my wife is from Long Island and had grown up in New England. You know, our entire families are from here. so. She wasn't too keen to the idea, quite honestly. Uh, we went down there uh, to Texas, but ultimately we decided to move um, just outside of Dallas, Texas. And um, I took my family down there kicking and screaming. They did not want to go. 
but I'll tell you, um, I learned more about the business of insurance during the five years that I was down there um, than I ever would have had I stayed in Boston. And I think it was a good risk for me to take. Um, you know, I would just say you had asked me kind of before we started uh, the conversation, you know, um, that people might be interested, you know, about career paths and and kind of what it takes to navigate a career path. And I think taking calculated risks is is one of those things that I think people need to get comfortable with and operating in less than perfect information. And I can tell you over that period of time when I was down there as a general counsel of America First Insurance, and ultimately I became general counsel of Colorado Casualty Insurance as well uh, while I was insurance. When that period of time was over and my five years were up and the companies had been brought back into the fold, um, it was time to move back to Boston, and uh, you would think my family would jump at the chance, but um, they actually said, "What if we stayed?" They, the same family that went down there kicking and screaming, now you know didn't want to necessarily go back and stick to the plan. But again, I think we made the right decision. We came back to Boston. Um, I became uh, chief counsel for commercial insurance claims uh, here uh, at Liberty Mutual in Boston, um, which was a great combination. It, it helped me utilize a great combination of my background uh, as being general counsel, these small insurers from a regulatory perspective and then combining my claims understanding from my litigation experience. So that was a, a nice way to do it. And then um, from there, uh, I was fortunate enough to work on a couple of special projects for our now general counsel, um, Jim Kelleher. And uh, when we reorganized um, our legal operations group, he asked if I would be willing to take on this role of, of looking about, uh, you know, the future of legal services for, for Liberty Mutual. and. I was very much interested in doing that, and that's what led me to my current role today. So I've been very fortunate to have a lot of opportunity um, at Liberty Mutual, and it's not just been a singular experience year over year over year. I've had, I guess, six distinct roles since I started, so um, I feel very lucky. So, so Bob, going back to the very first of those, dis those distinct roles, right, you're just, you know, as you mentioned, um, uh, you know, litigating some of those like automobile cases, right? You know, relatively small dollar cases, uh, but cases that you were certainly well equipped to, to litigate as a former DA. Um, at that point, presumably 25 years ago, 24 years ago, whatever it may be, were you kind of, uh, you know, keeping an eye out for, or did you have a special uh, eye for the inefficiencies and uh, potential improvements? that you could make at Liberty Mutual? Like as a as a very junior attorney at the company, were you already kind of mentally on that track or were you just kind of going through the motions and, and kind of just doing what you were told at that, at that very early stage? You know, early on, I was just trying to get my bearings. I think um, coming out of where I was trying a number of cases in the criminal context, I was trying to get my feet under me in a civil context, but really what I wanted to do was try cases. And so I was pretty focused on what was in front of me. Uh, you know, we were always looking for ways to improve uh, the way that we were handling these cases and um, always looking for opportunities to kind of, you know, see if we could test the limits of, of um, you know, the way that insurance law was being handled in the state. But um, I had a very good mentor in uh, Ken Latronico. He's uh, since passed away, and I miss I miss Ken uh, terribly, but he was a very good mentor to me. And um, one of the things he always used to tell me, you know, when I first started trying these cases is to look at the bigger picture and think bigger than just, you know, handling these cases. And uh, he always encouraged me um, to look beyond kind of where I was. Now, never, you know, it, it – uh, it ended up working out. He, he ended up being my biggest supporter. And so I was happy that I had a mentor in my life that had me look at the bigger picture and, and look down the road. Bob, when did you first start hearing uh, the words legal operations? Oh, man. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I, I don't ever really remember like the day or the date or the time frame. But what I can tell you is that Liberty Mutual and other, I'm sure, similarly situated property and casualty insurers, they've been at this for a very long time. So, you know, for me, um, legal operations is not new. Um, as I mentioned to you, you know, they were well on their way of doing the basics of legal operations in the late 90s, 2000s. So from that point forward, it was kind of normal for me to think about the business of law and, and the efficient consumption of legal services. Um, so, I, you know, 
it's been kind of a normal evolution. And for me, it's like, okay, now this is finally getting the attention it deserves. <laughs> um, but it's been a pretty normal thing for us for quite some time in, in my organization anyway. Why do you think, um, you know, th this discipline that's been around for, as you just said, right, 25, uh, 20 plus years, why do you think legal operations and, you know, the group clock um, is, is really having a moment? Yeah. What, what do you think is happening in the world that all of a sudden people are really naming this thing that you've been doing for a long time and others uh, at, at Liberty Mutual and other companies have been doing for a long time? Why does it now get a name and why does it now get its moment in the spotlight? Yeah. And, you know, I think it deserves its moment. But um, I, I think what's happened is that there's, uh, you know, the office of the general counsel has changed quite a bit and the expectation of general counsel has changed quite a bit. And I think there's an expectation that uh, the general counsel not just handle legal issues, but also have really strong business acumen. And um, there, I think there's also been you know, additional pressures from chief financial officers to encourage the legal department to run itself more like a business. I think for many years, the legal department, um, uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to paint too broad of a brush, but the legal department had generally gotten a pass in terms of, um, you know, the way that it ran its budget and its operation year over year, because legal was kind of this black box that they did what they did. And, and I think the more transparency into uh, the world of, of the legal department um, and the restrictions and, and budget constraints that have, have come along, you know, um, certainly in recent times. Um, I think, you know, certainly the events of, you know, 2008 certainly, you know, helped uh, move us along a little bit in terms of legal operations where people needed to start watching every dollar so much more closely because it meant survival. Um, so I think, you know, the expectations of running your business, you know, considering the legal department another business unit within the company has led to the necessity of having to bring on people that have greater business acumen. And some of the best legal operators that I know are either financial background, engineering background, aren't even necessarily lawyers. Um, I mean, I think there's some amazing legal operators that are lawyers, as a matter of fact, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be a lawyer to be a good legal operator. What do you think is unique to the insurance industry that um, you know that allowed it to get ahead of legal operations, uh, you know, by so many years, right? And certainly, you, some of your colleagues at Liberty Mutual, but also other, you know, your your colleagues across the insurance landscape at other PNC uh, insurance companies are also very prominent in the legal operations world. Why is that? What is it? What is it about insurance uh, that that uh, <laughs> makes these makes these very large uh, companies with very large market caps want to um, kind of push forward in, in into legal operations and innovate within legal operations? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty straightforward economics, um, and uh, you know it really is about um, expense ratios. So um, if you think about it this way, um, and, I, and I'm going to be very general, so all my insurance brethren, give me a break here. I'm just going to try to simplify this concept as much as possible. But in any insurance policy, you, you really are selling two things in, in an insurance policy. You make two primary promises in insurance policy. One, we will indemnify you up to the extent of your limits on that policy if a covered cause of loss occurs, right? So one is indemnity and the other is we will provide you with a defense if you are sued under a covered cause uh, uh, you know, um, of loss on, on your policy. And the provision of that defense is expensive. That's a, that's a major expense uh, on the organization. And so what we want to be able to do, and because the provision of a legal defense is core to a PNC's business, it certainly behooves us to focus on that as a core discipline, right? So um, it's in our best interest to be able to provide the most effective but efficient legal counsel that we can get on behalf of our insureds and behalf of our own organization, because it allows us to then provide our products at an affordable rate. 
And so um, that's primarily, I think, the reason why PNC insurers have, have at least gotten quite a head start. Um, I would say, though, that many, many organizations have caught up um, and are doing fantastic work in the area of legal ops. But, um, you know, we've had the luxury of, of getting a head start. And quite frankly, most um, insurance companies have larger legal departments dealing with everything from compliance to regulatory to claims and litigation and things like that. And so typically those larger legal departments have the luxury of being able to dedicate personnel um, to these issues. And I think that's helped quite a bit as well. You've mentioned that some of the best legal operators that you've seen are not lawyers, right? You mentioned, um, you know, engineers and finance folks. Um, what are the core set of skills that in your eyes, you need to be um, successful in legal operations. What is the, you know, what is the craft of legal operations require? Yeah, well, wow, there's so many things there, right? And, um, you know, I think the first of all, the best leaders and best legal operators surround themselves with people that have multiple skill sets, right, that are helpful. But um, I think in today's world, you know, having a strong financial acumen helps. Um, being able to draw a straight line from the activities that you're doing in legal ops to some type of ROI for the organization is important. So um, having an understanding of metrics, analytics, financial acumen, I think are all important. Um, understanding the need and uh, the skills required to have good project management discipline and process improvement discipline. Um, those in, in and of themselves are often, you know, there's whole courses being taught in business schools about those. And so those are really key and important. Um, I do think it is, uh, you know, important and incumbent upon a legal operator to understand um, the, the business uh, needs, the legal business needs of their particular organization inside and out. Um, I think understanding the economics of law firms uh, is very important. Uh, understanding the billing behavior uh, of those departments, um, whether it's, you know, your in-house folks or outside law firms is certainly critical. Um, you know, and then, then I would think also at a very high level, somebody that, that can advise the general counsel on strategy is, is really important as well. I think, um, you know, the best legal operators are the ones that also act as almost the de facto um, chief of staff to the uh, general counsel. And if they're lucky enough to have that role, they, they can have enough influence to help craft strategy that helps the legal department be as effective as possible. So I would think those are some of the, the major attributes. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. No, that that's really helpful. Um, let's fast forward to your role. Uh, you mentioned and you talked about your your path to your role, which is a senior executive role at Liberty Mutual. And your your uh, you know what's encompassed by your role is this idea of legal ideation and transformation. In fact, it's built in in there to your title. Um, what is it? What is legal ideation and transformation? What does Bob <laughs> Taylor do in the office? Well, now you know we're recording this in late late July of 2020. So, what does Bob? do at home uh, when he's working from home in order to fulfill this promise of, of you know, uh, the, the senior most person at Liberty Mutual in legal ideation and transformation? <laughs> um, it may not surprise you that you are not the first to ask me that question <laughs> um, <laughs> about what we do. Um, you know, we have, a, we have this saying, you know, in our group that it's called disruption. If you're not if you're not paying attention, but it's called transformation if you are. And we spend a lot of time trying to understand the shifting landscape of the legal ecosystem so that we can adjust accordingly or so that we can take advantage of those shifting sands as best as possible so that we can provide the best possible legal service both internally and externally to our policyholders, but we can do that at the most cost efficient ways possible. So what I'm doing on a daily basis is looking to support our outstanding legal professionals in our legal department to do their best work. And I do that in a number of different ways. And that might be by providing them with data tools that help them make better decisions 
faster that lead to better outcomes, that may be um, helping to deconstruct a process within a particular practice group that allows them to be more efficient, that may be implementing an intake solution for a, a practice group that allows them to deflect some of the unnecessary work or triage the work better and ultimately have greater measure of the work that they do. And we uh, help them create dashboards for their practice areas so that they can make data-driven decisions about their work and give greater insights to their clients. It might be that um, I'm working with one of our process improvement professionals to implement an expert system that is going to create or, or capture the knowledge from some of our lawyers and create a client-facing tool um, that you know can probably handle 70, 80% of, of the client needs in an automated way, and then only have to elevate that remaining you know, 20, 30% um, to our lawyers to handle. So really what we're looking for is um, to ensure that our lawyers are working at the upper end of their license. What I mean by that is that um, we want our talent within the legal department working at the very upper end of the, the work stream as possible. We want to be able to then take the more commodity, and I know that word is, is kind of a, a difficult word for some, so I'll maybe shift and say maybe the high frequency, lower risk work, and push that out to um, maybe an alternative legal service provider, maybe outsource that work, maybe move that work down to um, not have a 20-year lawyer do that type of work, right? Um, so a lot of it is right-sizing the work and examining the way that we're working and then enabling people to do do their work in the best possible way that they can. Um, it can take many forms. It, it may be, um, you know, doing a vendor day uh, with a couple of different vendors to see what it is that they're offering. It may be talking to some of my peers out in the industry and an industry group to share with what we're doing and to learn what they're doing. Um, it may be consuming, you know, content from CLOCK or Association of Corporate Counsel to help us benchmark how we're doing against industry um, that's helping to inform the strategy that we're working on for next year. So I really, there's very rarely a, a lack of things to do. And then of course, there's always the special project work. I mean, you know, COVID has certainly presented an opportunity to work on a number of projects to support our litigation and coverage group. So um, never a dull moment in Bob's world, I can tell you that. And I'm fortunate to work with a number of talented people that that make it look a lot easier than it really is. Um, so I'm fortunate for that. Yeah, related to a couple of things you said, but primarily that that uh, commodity uh, point, uh, high frequency, low risk kind of work. Um, mm -hmm. Some uh, firms out there, right? Some outside counsel, not necessarily Liberty Mutual's outside counsel, but some firms mm -hmm. that work as outside counsel, outside counsel might listen to that response and get a little scared, right? You use the word right size, you know, all, all of a sudden they're mm -hmm. like, wait a second, legal ideation and transformation, according to this Bob guy, means I'm going to get less work, right, at, at firm XYZ. What's your, what's your response to that? Uh, and have you gotten that kind of a response to... Um, what you say about innovation in the legal industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've absolutely gotten that kind of response. And we've been very frank with our uh, outside counsel. In fact, I've done a couple of talks with um, large groups of our outside counsel defense panel. And the first thing that I say in that talk is we need a strong insurance defense bar, meaning we want you to be strong and we, we need good outside counsel to handle this work on our behalf. However, the days of us just throwing the work over the transom and allowing you to do everything from A to Z is, is likely over. Um, and so what I would say to the firms is I, I wouldn't look at it as much of as a threat. I think they need to turn this around and look at it as an opportunity to differentiate themselves and say, how can I work with Bob and, and Liberty Mutual and, and other similarly situated organizations um, and add greater value by demonstrating that I'm willing to disaggregate this piece of litigation and, and allow certain portions of it to be done by providers that are not me, my law firm, but that can be done as equally well, if, if not better in some cases, 
um, and allow the lawyers that are assigned to the case to worry about strategy and trial and, and do the lawyering on the case and not have to do more of the kind of process and project work uh, on those cases. So I think there's an opportunity for, for outside counsel if they if they look at it in that way. And I've spoken to a number of outside counsel that see it that way and um, want to partner uh, you know, with, with us in similarly situated organizations. So um, I would say, you know, be ready because it's happening. I mean, the days of us um, just allowing a law firm to, um, you know, act as the general contractor and farm out all the various portions of, you know, uh, litigation is, is largely over um, for us um, because we've either taken in a lot of the process ourselves or we've started to use alternative legal service providers in conjunction with some of our outstanding law firms to get great results. In a way, it just occurred to me here, and correct me if I'm if I'm mistaken here, but you're you're asking outside counsel in a way to think with like a legal operations brain, right? Like if you if you get some work and it can be done by a a, a non lawyer, as much as I hate that term, I still use it. You know, a non lawyer or uh, some you know uh, outsourced entity do that. Right. I mean, in a way, uh, you're you're asking outside counsel to think operationally. Why do you think the legal operations title or uh, this concept of operational and process excellence hasn't yet formally gotten to outside counsel? What's the disconnect there? Yeah, I, I mean, it's starting to. Right. Um, you're, you're seeing some of the AmLaw 100 hire some pretty amazing folks. Um, you know, like the David Cambrias of the world, you know, uh, going over to Vic McKenzie and things like that. I mean, they, they are, they're, they're starting to do it. Um, I think it's slow. Um, it's, I think that the interesting thing about the times that we're in right now um, is that the financial pressures that are being put on the firms may force them into doing more of that earlier than they normally would. So I think you know, if there's any kind of silver lining here, it, it may have started to force um, some of the firms to uh, begin to think more strategically about, um, you know, the, their expense ratios and how they're providing services and what value means for their clients. And I know they're trying because I talk to them all the time and they're working very hard, um, but it's not easy. Right. I mean, these are... Uh firms, many of whom have been around for hundreds of years, right, that have had a uh, kind of a DNA of, um, of of doing high dollar billing work, right, in a general contractor kind of way for a really long time. And, and you know, one of my prior guests on this podcast is a Harvard Law professor, David Wilkins, talking about the great unbundling of legal services. And this seems like one of them, right? What you're in effect asking to do is you know, before you'd uh, give a certain legal project to one firm and throw it over the transom, as you said, and and then it would be theirs to figure out. Now what you could do and your team is, you know, do that legal project much more effectively, probably better by sending it out to 8, 10, 15 different entities. Am I getting that about right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And um, I, I have a tremendous work. Uh, respect for the work that David does over at Harvard, and we're very familiar with it. And I think he's spot on in the way that he talks about, you know, the unbundling of work. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, constraint, I think, can lead to hyper-focused and more disciplined decision-making. And I think whenever you introduce constraint into a system, that causes us to question everything um, we do from the way that we handle individual cases to the way that we think about regulation and strategy. Um, so, you know, it's really going to force both large legal departments, medium-sized legal departments, as well as, as law firms to have solid metrics and be able to tell a story about the ROI or the value that they're delivering for their clients or for the business. And so, if there is, again, any silver lining to what it is that we're all going through, maybe it's that this constraint will force some of that discipline. Not to say that people were completely undisciplined before and running amok. That's not 
what I'm suggesting. I'm just saying that it might be accelerating the process that was already in progress. One of the things you you talk about is uh, you you've spoken about you've written about innovation the concept of innovation you certainly are um, a, an innovation leader at Liberty Mutual and, and as as our listeners uh, likely know it's a vast organization with with many 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 uh, offices and, and thousands of, of employees uh, one of the things you say is that innovation is a team sport what do you mean by that and what <laughs> You know, what advice can you give um, based on that, uh, based on that, that kind of lesson to your counterparts and maybe folks who are junior to you at both companies and law firms? Yeah, you know, we, we use that term a lot and, and we really do mean it. Um, you know, just because there's a group that, that handles innovation within a legal department doesn't mean that they have a corner on good ideas. It never meant that. And we always really bend over backwards to try to be as transparent as possible to the entire legal department and to our organization as a whole as to what it is that we're working on and thinking about. And quite frankly, we're agnostic about where ideas come from. If you've got a great idea, we'd, we'd love to help you think about it and, and protect it and foster it and harden that idea, you know, so it's ready to move out into the world. Um, you know, Innovation could start with an, a, you know, a single individual, but like you said, it is a team sport. And all too often when somebody tries to facilitate change just on their own before they achieve buy-in from others, they, they typically fail. And it's not necessarily that the individual is wrong to try. Uh, it just may be that their idea or their concept that they were trying to implement needed to mature a little bit. And if the idea is too fragile or not enough people have gotten behind it, uh, the idea will likely get destroyed by others because that's that's how we operate, right? Uh, so in order to grow these ideas into you know meaningful use cases, you have to leverage diversity of thought, bring different perspectives to analyze the strength of, and weaknesses of the idea, and then once the idea has been hardened and protected and incubated, if you will, maybe in an ideation group, then it can be launched out into the world and survive on its own. And so I think that's what I mean by um, innovation being a team sport. Is, um, is one of the potential innovations that can come from, uh, innovations in quotes maybe, that can come from this pandemic that um, attorneys can be productive and successful working at home and maybe as an extension of that, that law firms don't need as much real estate and as flashy real estate as they currently have, is you know, where does that place on um, on your radar? Are you following that? And do you think that could be an important uh, an important side effect of this this pandemic that ultimately inures to the benefit of clients that maybe feel like they shouldn't have to pay for those four floors in the Manhattan or Chicago or Boston or San Francisco skyscraper? So, yes, I mean, we are following that. And I would say, yes, generally, I agree with you that, you know, one of those things that's going to be sticky, at, you know, after this is all over is that, you know, we will be much more comfortable with remote work. Um, Liberty Mutual was already heading down this path um, before this all occurred. Um, and I've been really amazed and proud of, of you know, uh, you know, my organization and how resilient it's been through all of this and the ability to work remotely. So I think a lot of that will will be sticky afterwards. And in terms of your question around law firms, look, if if it's important to you to have big, large locations and expensive real estate areas and, and that's good for your business model, okay. I mean, you know, do that. But I think what what people are going to find is that um you know, they're going to recognize that they are going to be able to do this work from anywhere. And it's going to be less important about where you are and more important about how you engage your clients and the value that you can demonstrate that you deliver. Less about the office space. Um, I mean, that's really never driven our choices other than that we need geographic diversity and law firms that have an understanding of the geographies in which they work. So that's important to us, right? So it might be important that they have lawyers that are geographically dispersed 
and jurisdictions that are important to us. So that's always been an issue. But in terms of having the, the flashy real estate, I think, you know, firms were already starting to recognize that a little bit. And, um, you know, I think um, lawyers are finding that that they're more comfortable with it than they otherwise would have been. Um, what's going to be super interesting to me is how sticky is it going to be in terms of remote deposition, in terms of doing mediations and arbitrations, um, you know, virtually? Um, are we going to be um, requiring you know, plaintiffs and defendants to be hauled into uh, federal court uh, magistrate's office for a settlement conference, you know, when they're flying from different parts of the country? Or are we going to be open and willing to do this in a virtual environment? I think the answer is generally going to be, yes, we will change. We'll, we'll snap back a little bit. But um, I think that there's a lot of um, waste that can be taken out of the system. The question is going to be, how do we do it in a secure manner? Um, in a manner that's transparent um, in terms of providing, you know, uh, justice. Um, those are going to be interesting questions going forward. And then I would say that um, one of the things also that, I, that a lot of firms have realized through all of this is that they were woefully underprepared in terms of technical competence, not only as a firm, but their individual lawyers uh, within their firm. So I think what you're going to see is a number of lawyers needing to upskill um, and understand how to just use basic collaboration software or be more technically proficient. I think what you're going to see also is a difference in the way that we train new lawyers. And that's one of the things, you know, we, we have relationships with several um, law schools and, you know, we're talking with them all the time. And, you know, there's some really innovative ones like even Suffolk University, for example, right in Boston, um, they have a nationally renowned you know, a program around technology and innovation, and um, they are training lawyers to be able to practice law in the way that it's going to be practiced in the future, not the way that it's being practiced today. And so I think that um, technical competence is, is going to be something that is going to be front and center for lawyers going forward as a result of, of this pandemic. You know, aside from the, the couple of things we've, we've talked about, you know, we talked about real estate and, and certainly remote mm -hmm. What other major sea changes do you see as a result of this pandemic in the insurance landscape in particular, if any? I mean, look, maybe this is um, this this will be similar to the 08, 09 recession in, in, in some ways. But are you uh, already feeling some some changes, shifts, uh, et cetera, as a result of this particular very horrible and very strange situation that we're we're all in together here i do um you know what exactly all those will be you know it's it's hard to predict um i mean you've had guests on on this podcast before that have been thinking about these problems for some time like richard suskin i mean he launched his book right right before this pandemic about uh, online courts right right um so i think a lot of what he's written about certainly will come to pass i think what this has done is it has um uh, collapsed the timetable for which these things will occur right so i think while a lot of what Richard Susskind and others, you know, and David Wilkins and all those are talking about in terms of the way that um, law will be practiced in the future. All of that would certainly, I think, come to pass reasonably. But what this pandemic has done is, I think, shrunk the timetable in which those things will occur. The other thing I think will start to happen um, is that, you know, there's still a tremendous amount of um, legal service needs not being met across this country and there's a serious divide between the people that can access legal services and those that can't and um, this is really being uh, magnified by what everyone is going through and um, so what I do think will start to happen and, and what this pandemic will accelerate and, and spur on is that there will be jurisdictions around this country that will examine uh, the regulation of lawyers and who can actually do things that are, have been traditionally reserved um, for lawyers themselves to be able to do. Um, you know, for example, you know, I, everybody uses the the common example of the nurse practitioner, right? Um, 
And typically a doctor, you would come in for physical and you would see the doctor for the entire time. Now you might get triaged by a nurse practitioner or just see a nurse practitioner for a wellness check, right? And only see the doctor when you need more significant care or something that requires additional expertise. I think we're gonna see something very similar happen um, in you know, the certain legal services going forward. And, um, you know, the ABA is very engaged in this, as are all of the various state bars. And some state bars are experimenting with making adjustments to, um, you know, model rules of procedure 5.4, which is generally around the, the regulation of, of the way lawyers doing work or the unauthorized practice of law. So I think that you're going to start to see um, provision of, of what, you know, are considered legal services being done by folks that aren't necessarily licensed lawyers, but maybe are um, like uh, enhanced paralegal or licensed, limited licensed liability professionals um, doing similar type of work. And I think that's going to be helpful both for individuals um, who need their legal needs met, as well as corporations um, that are looking to, to be able to handle their legal work in a more efficient uh, way. Yeah, and I think this is, also opens the door um, to the big four, right? To to Deloitte and KPMG, who are already making uh, a lot of noise in the in the legal space, right? I take it that if you could have this striated model, right, where you have a physician's assistant and then a registered nurse and then a nurse practitioner and mm -hmm. then a physician and then a specialist, right, uh, all stacked upon each other in the same in the same system. Uh, there's certainly space then for um, for the same thing to happen, uh, and certainly law firms, or I, I shouldn't say certainly. Let me ask you this: law firms don't have the monopoly on that, right? I mean, um, a, a lot of folks can play in the same space. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, although law firms might disagree with that statement that they don't have a monopoly on that, but. Um, so, yeah, I mean, outside of this country, right, you see the provision of business and legal services integrated um, within the big four. And, um, you know, I think there was just a recent big announcement by Deloitte um, announcing their uh, legal business services uh, group. I think that they're very clear about the fact that they're not interested in, in practicing law or anything like that, but they're interested in providing services around the provision of, of legal services in the business of law. And I think that's a, a really smart way to to gain entry into the market. And I think there's plenty of room um, for people to to enter that market and um, succeed. So well, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, you know, no, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I I recall seeing those those press releases from Deloitte, KPMG. I think Ernst and Young mm -hmm. is is well on their way. Um, and I can see why it's such a big market. That they've already done so well in globally, uh, and they, they, there's certainly a lot of money on the table in the U.S. Um, Bob, I've got one. I could, as you could probably tell here, I could talk to you for another hour on this stuff. I know you're a busy man. I've got one last question for you, uh, and it's the same question I ask all of my guests, and that is, if you had to make a prediction on the future of the legal industry, uh, on the future of legal ops, on the insurance uh, industry. Um, what would that be in 20 years? Where, where, what are we going to see in front of us? And what's it, what's it all going to look like, Bob? Please give us your wisdom on this. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, I, I will say that it might not take 20 years, but I see, I think in the fairly near future, you're going to really see a revamping of the way legal education is um, conducted and provided because I think um, a lot of law schools are realizing today that you know, very few of their students are, are going to actually go into large law firms and practice, and that there is a variety of ways to exercise the power of a law degree um, in today's economy. And so I think that they're going to have to prepare students differently. So I think you know, in 20 years, um, the provision of legal you know, education will look incredibly different. I think in 20 years, there's no doubt in my mind that uh, there will be significant changes to the regulation of lawyers themselves. And um, I think it'll there'll be a more open uh, provision of, of legal services by multiple different types of uh, providers. 
Um, and that's not to say that there won't be good, strong oversight to ensure protection of the public in terms of the consumption of those services. I think that's obviously still very important. Um, and I think uh, the way that our courts work will be incredibly different. You're going to see a lot more. I, I completely agree with Richard Suskin about online courts that it, it will become prolific. I think what you're going to start to see is, you know, when people have disputes, they might actually start trusting a uh, AI model that allows one party to enter in their demand and another party to enter in their you know, uh, prospective settlement uh, amount and have the parties kind of negotiate um, virtually. And then if you get within 5% of each other, split the difference in the matter settles. I think that people are going to start to, to get much more used to that type of dispute resolution as opposed to protracted litigation uh, over time. And um, so hopefully we continue to take the slack out of the system and create efficiencies and focus on value. And, you know, we have a place where, you know, life is certain and business can thrive. That's what I'm looking forward to. I, you know, I, I love that. I love that really broad ranging response. Uh, and I agree for what it's worth with um, a lot of what you said and, and, you know, certainly the future of the courts. Um, Bob, this has been a, a great conversation. It, you know, we've covered a, a ton of concepts here. I wanted to thank you. Uh, well, I wanted to thank you for your time. And I, I really appreciate you joining me on the Modern Lawyer podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. And uh, I think we'll have to continue this conversation over a beverage when uh, conditions allow. Oh, I'd love that. That sounds, that sounds excellent, Bob. I appreciate it again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you and we highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at onin at casetext.com tweeted us with the hashtag modern lawyer and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the case text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon.